If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, 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 it's Dr. Erica here, your Harvard-trained double board certified psychiatrist, author, and speaker. I know we are on a break between season one and season two, but don't be sad. I have another bonus episode just for you. This episode will focus on highlights from season one. This episode features Chuck Hobbs, Dr. Jada Moore-Ruffin, Ellis Dean, Azizi Blissett, Joy Stevens, and Light Watkins. The great thing here is that since this is a best of Dr. Erica episode, you get straight to the lessons and wisdom. So you're going to want to stay on until the last moment because this episode pulls out some of the best lessons and tips from the entire season. It's an excellent preview if you are unfamiliar with Better with Dr. Erica. You can also get a feeling for the pod and check out the original episodes later. These clips also feature areas of the better seven, those seven areas that are essential for you to have that better life that you deserve. The better seven are steps, silence, self-talk, supplies, support, structure, and sleep. You show up for work, for your friends, and for your family. Now it's time for you to show up for yourself. Keep listening for strategies and inspiration to help you be better, do better, and live better. I want to put you back in your life. Now that we've talked about it, let's be about it. First up, we have attorney, writer, and truth teller Chuck Hobbs from episode 11. This clip still touches my soul about how open he is about adversity and how this led to triumph and self-awareness. I'm so honored that he felt comfortable enough to be vulnerable on my show and talk about his own mental health. Let's get to it. Better with Dr. Erica. You know, one of the things I'd like to open up with you about, and I've teased in the past talking with you when you've been on my show uh, and, and just separate conversations. I'm like, well, I got a lot of heavy stuff that I can lay out there. But one of the things I have dealt with um, both this past year and over the last decade has been uh, mental health issues. Um, you know, like most black people, and I know, I just know that you've seen this in your psychiatry practice. Black people are very reticent to uh, to acknowledge mental health issues. And, and I think part of that as the historian comes from our people in ages past did not have the opportunity to sit up and get down in the dumps too much because survival meant that you had to get up every day, no matter how you felt and you had to work in the fields, uh, the farms, clearing land in the kitchens, whatever your job was blacksmith, you had to do it because Massa or the sharecropper farm owner wasn't trying to hear that, you know, you need a personal health day or that you're not feeling too good about stuff. So I get where it comes from. But as we grow and we get older, uh, we, too, should be able to benefit from all facets of, of medical knowledge and, and medical assistance, the same as any other people. And so about 10 years ago, not quite, but about nine years ago, um, I thought I was having a heart attack. And I was having chest pains. Uh, heart was racing, but my chest was hurting. I was having a tingling sensation in my left arm that wouldn't stop. So I'm on my way to the emergency room thinking, boy, this is it. Like Fred Sanford used to joke, this is the big one. And turns out after they did a battery of tests, and interestingly enough, if you've ever had a heart attack or if you've never had a heart attack, and I pray no one does, 
when they suspected I had a heart attack, you know, they shot me with morphine. And I had never been shot with morphine before, but it gave me the true understanding how people could become addicted. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I can see how people could become addicted because that felt good. Do you get what I'm I, I do. I, I had a, I got hit in the head with a ceiling fan. That's a whole nother conversation. Oh, oh wow. And I was in the ER and they gave me two Vicodins. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of one of the things I um, did is I remember looking over at my mom and I was like, mom, am I high? <laughs> exactly. And exactly. she's like, yeah. yes. <laughs> so go back to your story. I'm no, sorry. It, no, but you, you know what I'm talking about. It's all good when, when that morphine is right. And so turns out it wasn't a heart attack. It was an anxiety attack. And I was struggling with those for months. Uh, to tell you the truth. And so they gave me a battery of medicine and I've had a therapist uh, since then. Don't see him all the time, Dr. Dana Denard, but I see him uh, when life feels like it's it's closing in on me. It's good to know that I can go and sit and talk with Doc, uh, a black man who's lived uh, the same realities to a great extent that I have. Um, and so that's a good thing. And I encourage people to do that. Um, you know, I was also diagnosed with depression and that impacted so many facets of my life, including me professionally. And because of that, it um, it has made me this past year, you know, made me stop and realize, what are you doing this for, right? And when I say this, I'm talking about the law aspect of my career. I actually, you know, to keep it 100 with you, I actually wound up having to be suspended for a period of time. Because I, during the course of going through depression and stuff, and this is a whole other subject, I did not get some things done on some appellate cases that I was working on. Um, and the Florida bar uh, uh, put me on ice for a period of time. And, and I deserved it. I'm not sitting up blaming anybody. But I can tell you, Erica, that much of what I did not get done, I didn't get done because I was just burned mm. out and I needed help. And I needed to reach out and say, ask for help. But again, being the way men are raised, generally speaking, you know, it's like, well, I can tough this out. I can tough this out. I can tough this out until you could, until I couldn't. And, and so with that, I look back, all of these things were happening at the same time. The suspension from the bar was coming at the same time. COVID was shutting stuff down. And, you know, I just was like not knowing where to go. And what's amazing is in that time period, I have become, and I know this may sound cliche, but I have slowly become a better version of myself. Like I just celebrated the year anniversary, well, not a year, the anniversary of the day I started walking. And when mm -hmm. I started walking last year, it was on the day that I realized that I was going to be suspended. And I just walked. It was about 102 degrees here in Tallahassee that day. It was oppressively brutal heat. And I went back to my old house that I grew up in, in the old neighborhood. And I prayed at the tree that was outside of my uh, room that I grew up in. I, I rang the doorbell first to make sure that the current owners didn't wonder who is this guy uh, 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 walking in their yard. Nobody was home, but I went and prayed at that tree. And the reason I prayed at that tree is because that's the tree I buried my dog Caesar uh, in front of back in 1982. And so all throughout middle school, high school, whenever something was weighing on me, I would always go and sit under that tree with Caesar and talk to God. And so I went and talked to God that afternoon and I walked and I almost passed out because it was so hot <laughs> and I was so huge still. And I'm still a big guy, but I've dropped almost 70 pounds oh, wow. since then and walked about 600 and I think 18 miles as of yesterday. And so that was a part of my healing process, right? You know, so it's my thoughts are do whatever it is that you have to do to figure out what's best for you. But what I have really come to understand is, and if you want to talk about God ordering steps, one of the things I was concerned about this time last year was, well, what's going to happen financially? How are you going to be? I haven't missed a meal. I haven't missed any payments on anything. And it's because, again, I started writing more. I started doing 
these podcasts for the AME church, getting paid to do that. And when you stop and you realize, like, even in the midst of struggle, he had me. Um, it makes me more at peace, but it also makes me realize that, hey, there are easier ways to live and to get the most out of your talent as opposed to running up and down the road here in Florida, going from murder case to rape case, back to murder case and everything in between, because there's only so much only so much of that murder stuff, Erica, you can see that until it starts to weigh on you. Yeah. And after 20 something years of it, it was beating me down. Too, and I just didn't realize that I had had enough, you know. So what I what I'd like to do is take a quick moment and scooch in because you said so much, and I want to unpack some of it because okay. there was there was a lot all up in there. Um, because I think one of the hugest things is we're we're all on these missions to to be better, do better, and live better be it a situation where we're just looking to have a better life or a situation where we're trying to survive or we're in crisis and we need to get better to get to that better life because what we're dealing with right now is just not survivable. It's just not workable. It's not sustainable. And one of the first things I want to say is thank you for being brave enough, but also caring enough to, to share your story and the fact that you've stepped out and decided, you decided that you were going to get some help. Because culturally, especially in the Black community, but I see it in everyone, that it's almost like everyone looks at their mental health as do it yourself. It's, I just got to find a way to manage this. I'm just going to do it myself. Or it's not there. Or or there's nothing major going on. Or our our ancestors were slaves. They could deal with being slaves. Why can't you deal with this? Or that's for white people. <laughs> you know, you, you've heard that. That's for white people. Yeah, definitely. And, and I love that we're now starting to have more open conversations because one of the things that pulled me to work in mental health was just seeing how much people's mental health affected their quality of life. And everybody wants to live better. Everyone wants to live long live well, and also leave some type of legacy. And you have less time to do that if your life is cut short. Amen. Or if you're totally miserable. So I first want to commend you on the fact that when you found out what was going on, you also had the option to just say, whatever, dude. Um, you may say, I've said I had this panic attack. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Whatever. Um, and a lot of people do that. So I w- first want to take a moment and commend that. I also want to send some virtual hugs out for all all of the losses. And I know a lot of people that went to FAM. And I also went to school with Lawrence. So just sending some love out to everyone that's also dealing with the, the loss of um I want to say like ex-president Humphreys, you yeah, know, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I feel like he was from what I've heard. Cause I didn't know him. He's like one of those people that feels like how president Barack Obama, everyone says like they're forever president. Mm-hmm. I feel like he, for people that went to fam, he's their forever president. Absolutely. Did you hear all of that? I want to challenge you to get the help that you need. You deserve to be at optimal health. You don't have to do it alone, and often it can't be done alone. Mental health does not need to be and should not be a do-it-yourself project. This is one of the reasons support is essential and one of the better seven. Next up is Dr. Jada Moore Ruffin from episode 13, also known as Dr. Jada. She is a nationally recognized weight loss specialist, wellness expert, and successful entrepreneur with an award-winning weight loss center. On top of all of this, she is board certified in obesity and family medicine. Listen in to hear a comprehensive definition of wellness, ways to expand your capacity, and the importance of the ability to simply be. This clip can revolutionize your life in just a few minutes. So I know out there, there's all this talk about wellness, and it's to the point where sometimes it just feels like a really vague term. What does wellness mean to you? Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because it is becoming one of those kind of buzzwords, those 
trendy buzzwords to talk wellness. And for me, a person that's kind of been in wellness space or wellness minded as a practitioner and just as a human uh, for over two decades, wellness means to me optimizing how you feel, how you operate, how you execute every aspect of your life. So it may not necessarily refer to your physical health. Wellness to me uh, relates to your emotional, your relational, your ability to communicate high and in, in a high capacity way. Uh, wellness in your finances, in uh, your enjoyment of those around you, intimacy. So it's really a state of being that is optimized. It just it, it maximizes your potential as a person, uh, as a human, as a contributor, and as a person that's able to receive from this great universe and this great world that we are part of. I love how you define wellness because I think so t- so many times people get so caught up with when they think of wellness, it's kind of like diet and exercise. And that's literally all that they think of when there are a million different ways people talk about the mind, body, spirit connection yeah. and all of those things, but the importance of how each dimension of our life impacts the other. So yeah. that it's really important that you have all of these things in order because if one's out of whack, something you may not even know is coming can end up yeah. totally out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I say is how you do life in one area is how you do life in every area. So I really like to take, not even just taking away the doing, but the being. And that constant in any situation is us as the individual. So from a wellness perspective, it's almost all it's almost kind of focusing on what's the highest version of myself in any area. Am I maximized in my capacity, my capability? Not in a way that we're like so super busy and we're maximizing our capacity to take on a lot, but am I maximized in my intellect? Am I maximized in my peace? Am I maximized in the physical sense, my environment, where I am, where I spend my time? Is everything optimized and maximized? And that's where I look at kind of the, the benefit of wellness outside of just the health in the physical space. Well, and I love that because one of the things that happens is the more optimized you are in every area, even if you have a finite capacity, you're using that capacity very differently. Because we ended Absolutely. up we talked about this actually also on the podcast with Light Watkins. And also when I talked to Terrell Fletcher in episode four, is that when you're if you're stressed out or you're overwhelmed or you're physically not working, you know, your body's not working well, or you're emotionally out of whack, is that you're not going to be efficient with your productivity when it comes to any task you have to do, be it personal or professional. The more that stuff takes up time because you're not having as much clarity and thought and your executive functioning isn't well then you have, it takes longer to do everything. And when it takes longer to do everything, it steals time away. That would be your me time, your family time, even your housework time. It's just everything just snowballs. And I love the fact that you have these comprehensive systems to help people work on a wide variety of things so that they end up at the end of the day feeling whole and optimized. Yeah, absolutely. I think at the end of the day for the way that I see and the way I share it with my clients and my patients is creating alignment. And the alignment is really the key to living a fulfilled life. I really work because I work with high achieving and results driven women and professionals. A lot of times the challenge isn't in the doing and the accomplishing of tasks and um, uh, or achieving certain goals. That's not really the challenging part. Part of it is the process, but also it's the being, it's the lack of the ability to be, to be still, to be quiet, to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be treated, to be uh, to be a receiver. So there's always this high energy output. There's always this emphasis on output. How can I do more? How can I accomplish more? How can I get go back to school, get another certification? How can I run for public office? How can I lead... Uh, a larger team? How can I go forward for a promotion? 
all of these things that require a lot of output, the challenge that I find for women, uh, including at some point myself, is to be able to open or widen the door for input. So there used to be a time when I would feel like if I, and, and that kind of came to me out of experience and out of study as well. There used to be a time when I would only be able to measure my success, quote unquote, my air quotes that people can't see is based on what I was able to do and I was able to see in black and white. But what was really the, 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 the part that was leaving something kind of like open or not completing that cycle mm-hmm. is that there was some personal fulfillment that was just as important, just as critical and just as intentional. So as I think about how that you know really pans out and how I've seen it happen, there would be times when I was able to be putting out work, boom, 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 boom. And then I would go into these, what I would call my low points. And those would be times when I just really could not produce, could not put out much, couldn't really, quote unquote, get it together. And it would cause me to judge myself. Like, what's going on? Is something wrong? Like, why am I not able to get this knocked out? Why am I not able to add more things to my already full plate? And it was almost like a a mental, spiritual shutdown, so to speak. And so I started to really study that pattern. And in fact, I became really aware of that through coaching. Mm -hmm. I was coaching with the integrative um, IIN, it's the Institute of Integrative Nutrition Coaching. And I was actually a student in the coaching program. And I was talking with one of my coaches on a session and I described this. It's almost like it was cyclical. Mm-hmm. Now, probably in your world, you're thinking, eh, is that bipolar? Like you up, uh, you down, you up, no, you down. No, yeah, sorts, that, that's sorts. not what I was thinking. I was there. There, there are lots of things that and I want to pause here a moment for the peoples. There's a common misconception in the community that anytime there are mood swings, ups and downs, anything like that, it's bipolar. There are ups and downs in a million different things. <laughs> there are mood swings in a million different things. We have different rates of productivity and mood in many things. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the bipolar. Keep going, Dr. Jada. There you go. Thanks for helping the people and helping me, you know. So it was it's but it would seem that way. Let's I mean it would kind of seemingly they're just high output mm-hmm. times and low output times. So as part of the coaching I started, my coach said, hey, pay attention to your rhythms. Everyone has a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. And that rhythm is not always the same. Sometimes it's seasonal. Sometimes there are just times that our body is just really energetically aligned with what's going on in the universe. And if we just call it our season, for me, that's fall. In the fall, I can, you know, I just feel so... Um, well embraced by the earth, the universe, so many things. So I'm generally a higher output. But there are other times when, um, and it's not just seasonal, but she was saying, pay attention to that. Could it be seasonal? Sometimes after you've done a lot, after I've done a lot, I've been high yield, there is a replenishing time. And some of this even goes to what I've discovered, my extroversion. As we get older, we get more seasoned, gain more wisdom. As As an extrovert, I would always kind of recharge by having a lot going on, being in community with people. And now I'm finding that I'm having some enjoyment in those introvert moments where I'm able to refresh and recharge just by falling back and letting somebody else lead and just being in that space. So it's just been really interesting um, how that has panned out. And I look at that as a checkpoint for wellness. I look at that as a checkpoint now. So I think what we often have to do is begin to understand and study ourselves and see what we are doing and what we are and how we are being in that doing and be okay to take inventory and make adjustments. I think that's the take home is be willing to make adjustments. Dr. Jada said all of that. Mindset is so essential to our optimal functioning and ability to expand our capacity. Don't you want to be able to truly enjoy your life without feeling stretched in every direction? That's one of the biggest reasons that I created this podcast. How we manage our wellness and expectations of ourselves can be so powerful with our mood and self-talk. Do you remember that better seven that I mentioned? 
Self-talk is one of the better seven. Let's keep this episode going. How do you like it so far? I'm having a blast listening to these clips. I feel like each time I hear them, I pick up another nugget of information. My next guest is Ellis Dean from episode eight. Ellis is a multi-talented host, public speaker, and the director of digital programming and production for blackdoctor.org. Listen in as he talks about allyship, including the difference between being an ally and a fan, along with the importance of being willing to create safe spaces. We're just getting warmed up. Let's get to it. Better with Dr. Erica. So there are spaces for all of us to learn to do better. And I, I think that's been huge. That also came out of when we started seeing the rise in um, Asian Pacific Islander targeted hate, that there's just room for all of us to do better and to learn more and to be allies because no one person is every single demographic. And I, I think that's one of the huge things is it gives all of us have an opportunity to be an ally for somebody. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I had this interesting um, dialogue yesterday. I had a I wild hair. I saw this post and I put a, I put a comment about being an ally. And so this guy was saying he was responding to a comedian and he was like, he said, he's no longer a fan. Right. You know, because of his post about in support of Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. And so I just kind of put a, a rather what I thought was a rather innocuous comment. <laughs> but like I literally had to turn yeah. off notifications for it because it was like over 600 likes and it got out of it got out of control really quickly. But I was just like, we don't need fans like we don't need fans. We need allies. Right. So I'm like good riddance, you know, because fans only are there. And, and I'm speaking metaphorically in terms of being you know people that have black friends and I consider them fans, right? Oh, it's like, cause that's a rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. So therefore I, I could be your fan because, you know, Leroy is my friend, right? And so therefore I'm a fan of Leroy because I'm getting something out of it. Now you can convince yourself that, hey, because I have this relationship with, with one or two black people that therefore I don't have prejudice or, you know, racist beliefs or views. But when you, when you carry that out, eh, you probably do, right? So an ally says, I'm going to give you and everybody that looks like you, or there's everybody that's part of your group, even if it's not an ethnic group, let's say it's LBGT, Elemental P, whatever. <laughs> LGBTQIA. Okay, you got it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and I don't want to be offensive to anybody that if you're part of the community, so um, I'm, I'm not trying to be offensive by that. Um, even, in, even in that group, you give them the space to be who they are. That's how I see being an ally, right? And then recognizing the challenges that are part of that group. And so I think that's how, you know, this whole allyship for me uh, path started. I got a certification in DNI from, I did the online thing from, from Cornell. And that opens my eyes even bigger to recognizing where my blind spots were. And I thought I was pretty liberal. Right. You know, I thought, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm speaking on social justice, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you recognize, oh, I have some blind spots. And then and recognize that being an ally is not out there carrying signs all the time. It's just saying, hey, I'm not going to be in a space or create a space where people that are others, you know, unlike me, feel uncomfortable around me and give them the space to be who they are genuinely and not some ascribed, um, comfortable aversion of that particular group, right? So I understand that my ability to code switch and blend in to majority culture has led to some of my success, where some of my other, you know, brothers could be just as smart as I am, but because they're, they can't speak the same way and, they, you know, and, and aren't as comfortable, they're not going to have opportunities afforded to them. And so that's just, that's ridiculous, right? Because I can blend in, it should be about ability, right? And some of that, some of that, some could argue that that is ability, is the ability to blend in. But, but I think there's something huge in the middle of that is kind of looking at what being an ally truly means. And Mm -hmm. I think you brought out something that's huge and I I don't want to skip over it, is that to me, there are two huge things within being an ally. One is not only are you a safe place mm-hmm. or a safe space, but you actively help create safe spaces. Right. The other is one of the ways that we actively create these safe spaces is we speak up when other people cannot. And being willing to speak up when it's uncomfortable 
when it's going to be unpopular. Right. And, and not just speaking up when it's convenient. Right. You know, the funny thing is like, um, you know, my wife has a has a big role with her company. And so there's been some times where she's been placed in some uncomfortable situations because she sits on a lot of executive teams and leadership boards and all that within her space. And so something will be said that's uncomfortable and nobody will say anything in the moment. But then afterwards, they'll step us. Oh, I didn't like that. He said that, blah, 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 blah. And to be an ally is to speak out in that moment. And that's what, you know. When she says this to me, I said, well, what you need to say to that person is, I need you to say that in a moment so it doesn't happen again. Don't come and apologize for them to me offline. Step up and say something in the middle so we can squash that kind of behavior. And so, and that's when I had that kind of aha moment where it's like, okay, because I've always been a live and let live kind of person. I'm like, do what you do, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Live, live your life. I'm not worried about who you sleeping with, what you doing, you know, who you doing it with. Like, do, do you, as long as you're not trying to tear other people down. But in looking back, um, being an ally is that next step, right? And so when somebody, you know, says a word or makes a derogatory term about somebody and they're not there, even if they're not there to defend themselves or their group, you got to say, hey, man, that's, that's not cool, right? And that could put you in a, in a precarious position with your 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 friend group, with your, you know, your in group or whatever. But that is what really truly being an ally is, is about. And so, you know, if you're a man and you sit around a whole bunch of men and they start saying this about women and this and that, and you guys, hey, man, that ain't, that ain't cool. Even if that particular person's behavior warrants, <laughs> warrants that uh, description, like that's not cool in a general sense in terms of the language that you're using. But there's a line and, and we have to recognize that that line if we allow it, allow it, allow it, it starts to condone it. And then it becomes, oh, and then that's how narratives get created. The only way we can get the change that all of us have been looking for is there has to be some type of culture shift. I really hope you enjoyed that clip. We can all do better. And that is our challenge. I challenge all of you to be a safe space and create safe spaces actively. You can all be an ally to somebody. My super friends just keep on coming. Up next is Azizi Blissett, also known as the Dream Life Coach. Let me let you in on a fun fact. She is the one who introduced me to the secret and to making a vision board. Stay tuned to hear about visualization and writing a vision story. I always learn something new when I talk to her. Now, I know you actually are the person that introduced me to vision boards, and I found my vision board to be a really good tool to help with visualization. Are there any other tools you recommend, or do you feel like vision board is just the jam? I think vision boards are great. I think that it's a tool, but before you get to the vision board process, I always say that you need to write down your vision story. Writing is extremely important too, because it's an energetic writing technique as well. And you're putting the energy out into the, the universe, right? So vision board is a, is a tool. Um, writing down your vision is a tool. Using your imagination is a tool, especially during a pandemic when we feel mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things we can't necessarily physically take action on. But the other key thing that you need to do is you really need to get in alignment with what it is that you want to manifest. So the vision board stuff that you're doing, and I see your beautiful vision board behind you. Oh, thank you. When you get that vision board together, really focus on the emotions that are coming out of that vision board. It is our emotions and our thoughts that is helping us create the energy so that the universe can come alongside and co-create with us. Oh, I love it. Now, I know you mentioned a vision story. What's in a vision story? Yeah, it's your desires. It's your desires. And so you really want to activate those desires. So just really write down what you want. I want this. I desire this. It's just really start just maybe a paragraph start to really visualize what that is for yourself. You can say, you know, I want, you know, a home. Get into specific detail about what you want that home to be. Is this a single family home? Is this a condo? You know, what is it? And what do you, what kind of furniture you want to put in it? Get into the whole aspect of it and start to visualize it as if it's already there. And that's how you begin to manifest because the universe doesn't know the difference between your imagination and what's real. 
Well, and I, I love that. I feel like I haven't done exactly a vision story. I've written lists with the vision story. Is it a list of what you want or should it be kind of some narrative where it actually says the story? So I was saying, if you're doing a list, you're probably not as specific as you need to be. So I would say get more into the details of what it is that you want, you know, and start to write a narrative, a story, your story, you know, of what you really want to create. You know, if it's that dream house, that dream car, that dream family, really get into the details of it, but get into the emotional space. How do you want to feel? I want to feel happy. I want to feel joyful. Imagine what it's going to be like when you put your key in the door to your brand new home, really get into that space. That's how you're able to manifest it. Well, and I always remember, I'm going to tell a little story for the peoples that they don't know. So um, there was this weekend that Azizi, a good friend of our niece, and myself all got together. And and I remember this is back before everything was streamed. Like there was some streaming services, but they didn't have everything that was on there. And Azizi had this copy of The Secret. And I, I don't even know if it was DVD. That may have been on a VHS tape. It was, <laughs> and we watched The Secret. And I, I always remember how great an introduction to law of attraction and some of the things behind a vision board. It was watching, sitting there with you, watching The Secret. And it wasn't even a good copy. So it was a little grainy versus now it's on Netflix and everywhere. You can get that sucker in 4K (laughs) and high def. We watched it in low def. But I love the fact that it's good in low def, high def, any def. Yes. You know, and the secret for some people, it is their introduction into law of attraction and into vision boarding and into universal law. Um, but the secret goes so much deeper, but if it's your entry point, take it and then, you know, see if you can go a little bit deeper by, you know, digging and following the breadcrumbs and doing some more research on some other things and tools you can put in place. Well, thank you so much. So I, I, I know you're also called the dream life coach. Can, can you tell the people a little bit about why you are the dream life coach or or how you came came to be the dream life coach. Yes, because I, as I began to work with different clients, it's really what I heard from clients. Wow, you're really helping me create my dream life, my desires. You're really helping me bring those things to fruition. Now, I will say in the process, it looks a little sketchy. It can be really challenging because guess what? We got to do our work. I said, you got to do your work, sis, right? We got to do our work. On, and that's the self-work. We got to do our work. And if you're willing to show up and do your work, I always tell my clients, I'm going to be right there beside you, guiding you, giving you the tools and the resources that I know guarantee will, will get you to the space that you want to be in if you continue to use them. Now, what are a few things, because I know you, you mentioned that visualization is a powerful tool. It also sounds like showing up, practicing and doing the work is something really powerful. Do you have one or two other tips that you would offer as something that is very important for people to be able to move towards their dreams and their goals? Absolutely. So I have actually, I would say probably three. So my big, big one is gratitude. You have to get in a space of gratitude and appreciation. Okay. And why is that? Because that's a high vibratory space. And when you're in that space, you're able to manifest and attract things that you want in that dream world that you want to have. Right. And it's through appreciation that we're able to become these magnets of a lot of those things. The second thing that I would say would would be for you to develop some sort of affirmations for yourself. I know, Erica, you're good at doing different affirmations and things like that. And it could be just simply, I love myself completely and deeply, or I appreciate myself and just something Mm -hmm. to esteem yourself in whatever area it is that you want to focus on in your particular life. Affirmations are super powerful. I would say take an affirmation a day, recite it to yourself over and over again inside uh, throughout your mind throughout the day, and you will change and shift your mindset with that. And the reason why is because no two emotions can hold the same space at the same time. So you can't be uh, angry and sad and down holding some low vibration emotion and affirming yourself with all these positive emotions at the same time. One is going to cancel the other out. 
And my last one would be a biggie for me. I would say, if you uh, are so inclined and open, consider meditation. And one of the reasons why I love meditation is because it connects you in word. It connects you into your intuition. Yeah. It quiets your mind. And uh, every answer that you need is inside. And when you quiet your mind and get all that contrast and all of the energy from the day out of it, you'll all the answers will start to come to you and you'll be able to effortlessly and easy move through your day to manifest your dreams. I love how Azizi can make concepts that often seem vague, appear clear and doable. There is magic with alignment and clarity to more effectively manifest. I can't wait to hear what you manifest and all of the wonderful things you do, especially since she also dropped those three things you need to do to make your dreams come true. You know how Light Watkins was referenced earlier? Well, here's the actual clip. I'd encourage you to not stop with just this clip, but to go back and listen to the entire episode to get all of this information from a master meditation teacher and yogi that has effectively been teaching others and changing lives for years. This clip focuses on the power of present moment awareness, finding motivation beyond crisis or illness, and how to move into action to truly take control of your life. Let me stop telling you about it and let you hear it for yourself. There's basically two different catalysts for present moment awareness, right? One is... I've done enough research and seeking happiness outside of myself. Now I'm curious about where it actually resides. Let me go and take this meditation class or let me go and start a gratitude exercise or whatever. The other one is you've been diagnosed with this disease, this illness. Your body has not, is not able to continue operating at the same capacity as it was before because you were neglecting it. And so now you, you know, you, you have such and such amount of time to live. And then people get really present then. It's all about what's happening right now, my relationships right now, how I'm spending my time right now. So as a physician, you know, and, and giving people those kinds of diagnoses and prognoses, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely the more dramatic way to get present. And, and again, one of my messages is don't wait for that to happen because if you postpone that present moment awareness, um, with whatever's going on right now, then you you are, make yourself susceptible to grinding yourself into a health crisis, mm-hmm. in which case you're going to be forced into present moment awareness, which is not nearly as much fun because you're not usually as mobile. Well, that's what everyone's seeing these days is this issue that all of a sudden you realize your body's a hot disaster. Mm-hmm. What do I do now? Because I think one of the huge things is, is everyone is so focused on all of the things, literally all of the things. And then you get to a moment and we're all getting older. I'm not going to say how old I am, but it's so easy to lose track of everything and lose track of these connections and relationships along with your own health, because you think you have tomorrow. And I have to tell people about being present, not only because they got a huge diagnosis, or they just aren't functioning. But also part of what I look at is my mission as a psychiatrist and as a human on this earth is to hold on to hope until people can hold it for themselves. But it's hard to hold on to hope if you aren't grounded in the present at all. That's something that I think a lot of people take for granted is that present moment awareness. Like I can just be present whenever I want to be present, but that's not how it works. Because if you have a lot of stress in your body and in your life, the stress runs the show. The stress dictates how well you sleep at night. The stress dictates how strong your immune system is at any given time or how susceptible you are to COVID. The stress yanks you out of the present moment and into the future and causes you to be anxious about what's coming around the corner. The stress is what makes you worried about what you did in the past and whether you did the right thing or not. The stress is what keeps you up at night. So Anything and everything that we can do to mitigate that and manage our stress is what I think is should be the highest priority because it literally frees you up to be more present. And guess what? The most attractive version of you at any given time is 
the version of you that is anchored in the present moment. Compared to the version of you that's stressed out all the time, present moment awareness version of you is going to outperform that stress version of you in every way at every time, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Everything from sex to friendship to relating to job interviewing to performance, competition, analyzation, even understanding movies that you're watching. Like if you're stressed out, you won't, you, your, your ability to do all of those things will be severely handicapped. That's one of the things I, I love about what you do is one of the hugest things is it helps give people their power back. Because it's almost like people are gaslit into thinking they don't have power. It's kind of like mm-hmm. whatever happens to me is what happens to me. And, yeah. and you see it in people in so many walks of life. You know, I've worked in public settings. I've worked in private settings. I see it in my, my poor people that are homeless. I also see it in the people that are, are you know, live in a million dollar home. It's all of this feeling like, as you were talking about earlier, like life is happening to them. Like there's no control over it. And I I feel like that's one of, one of the biggest gifts that you help give people is helping them to realize or remember that they actually have some control over their thoughts, actions, and being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's, that's the premise of all of my work is self-sufficiency and, um, Again, it, 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 it's hard to, to be a fulfilled person if you don't understand that you are creating your reality, you know, because if you're not the one that's responsible, then that means somebody else is responsible, which means you have to wait for them to change. You have to wait for them to first be aware of it and then have to change <laughs> and then have to change in a way that suits your preferences in order for you to be happy, which is a prison. It's a prison. It's a and, nightmare. Uh, and if you, but if you're responsible for your own situation, then that means you're also responsible for the solution, which means you can change today. You can change in five minutes if you wanted to. It doesn't mean that the change is going to take effect in five minutes, but you can start making different choices now. You can start making different choices now. And that's an empowering place to act from. It's wonderful. And also, I think when people have that self-awareness and are able to be present, then it gives them the tools to communicate better about what their needs are or what they're looking for or what they want. Because the other, the other thing I see so much is people have these ideas of what they want, but they're not communicating to anyone else or setting appropriate boundaries to get any of the things they want or any of the types of dynamics they want in their relationships. And I I love the fact of what you're speaking about is it empowers people to make those changes, but also be self-aware to actually adequately communicate their needs or if something needs to change or they just don't need to be doing something to be able to actually communicate it, put it in language and, and take action. Because I, I, I love how you said that your, your books are almost like this arc. And that last one is really about that last set of action. Um, because so, for so many people, a lot of these processes, it's kind of like, well, I was, I was sitting there and I was thinking quietly or I prayed this or said a couple gratitude statements, but nothing changed. Yeah. And, and it's like with anything you do, at some point you have to actually do something. Mm-hmm. Even, even when it comes to when you're having more discipline with your own thoughts, because a lot of what I do sometimes is we're working on people to work on cognitive distortions and to replace at times negative thoughts or negative perceptions is it's still an active process Mm -hmm. to work on really having feeling like your thoughts aren't just random all the time. There are times when they're random, but there are times where we have a little bit more control over things than we think we do. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, you know, you can't not underestimate the power of repetition and uh to your earlier point, you know, you can't do a couple pull-ups pull or push-ups and expect to go and do a triathlon right after that. You, you got to build up to that. And uh, it's going to take a lot of dedication, more dedication and focus than you probably think. And so it's better to just approach those kinds of positive lifestyle habits 
as a process as opposed to some big outcome that you're hoping to see at some point in the future. The outcome will take care of itself if you're process-oriented in the approach. If you're outcome-oriented, you'll quickly get discouraged. And so what we need is to think about this in a more principled way and, and, and work on strengthening our habits, which is really just about follow through. And it's, it's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But that's the power of, of taking small steps whenever you can, however you can. And, um, and also making it bigger than you. You know, if you have a family, if you have kids, if you have a company where, you know, you're employing tens or hundreds of people, it's, you're not just doing any of this for you. You're doing it for all of them. You're doing it for all of their families. You're doing it for your kids, your kids' kids that they haven't even had yet. You are making yourself available for all of that. And so in, in a way, you are operating in a service capacity when you are taking care of yourself. It's just like on the airplane when they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Because if you don't do that, even though everything in your body says, help everybody else first, which is a good intentioned you know, way to be. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you become a liability to your kids and to your employees and to everyone who's depending on you. And we accumulate enough empirical evidence that, oh, I'm a better version of myself because I, I take this extra time. What you find is that the time that you spent gets refunded back to you exponentially in time you're not having to spend in dramatic situations and miscommunications and apologizing and retail therapy and all of this stuff that we have normalized, you know, um, which is really not normal. It's, it's normal for an imbalanced society with, with messed up priorities, but it's not normal to your operating system. Your operating system is, you know, you're supposed to be acting from happiness, not not sacrificing your health and your relationships in order to find happiness. With Dr. you know how I always say I don't like the saying dropping gems, but <laughs> I can't help it. Did you just hear all of the gems about fighting the societal gaslighting of thinking that you are not in control of your life? Light has a talent for providing steps and framework of how to shift into a space so you can actually take steps towards that better version of yourself. This clip was a lesson in two of the better seven, self-talk and silence. Did you catch that he said the most attractive version of yourself is anchored in the present? Oh my gosh, that was just literally mind blowing. Don't you wanna take control of your own happiness and life experience? Don't get me started. <laughs> Last but definitely not least, is Joy Stevens. Her nickname is the Harriet Tubman of corporate America, <laughs> but her actual titles are executive coach, corporate culture consultant, and diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. Tune in to hear the unfiltered truth of how becoming fed up with having to fit into a box and yearning to be authentic can launch a career. There's also the bonus conversation of how representation matters, including the impact of Spellman and HBCUs. You're almost to the home stretch, so don't turn the podcast off now. With Dr. How did you decide to become a business owner and entrepreneur? In a nutshell, I'd had it. That's how I left corporate America. I'm not doing this anymore. There's got to be something else. When I found myself... I knew at a certain point that I wasn't going to stay with the company I was with. And when I found myself trying to figure out how can I shrink myself back into a box to be marketable to the masses, there was something to me that um, it, uh, it cracked open. I'm not going to say it broke. I'm going to say it cracked open. And all of a sudden there was all this energy and ideas. and like, no, no, excuse my French on your show. No, hell no. I'm not doing this. I've had it. I'm going to start telling the truth. Now, how can I do this and, and eat? Got to pay the bills. And um, actually, I picked up, moved from Houston, Texas, back to Atlanta, Georgia, because, again, the history that I had with um, marketing, with sales, with business and geography, I was like, what I'm trying to do, I can't do in Houston, even though I was born and raised there. My opportunity is going to be in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I moved back to Atlanta um, for the fourth time, and I started slow. And I was committed to this has to happen. 
I also, I'm not going to lie. This isn't for everybody. When I left corporate America, I left with a nest egg that I knew I could, could buffer me for the better part of a year. I gave myself a year. If I can't get this off the ground in a year, well, I guess I'm going to have to go ahead and, you know, put the suit back on and figure out how to get back into corporate with this year of owning my own business under my belt. But lo and behold, a year, eight months later, I got clients. I'm doing work. I'm making ends meet. I'm no longer living off that nest egg. I actually put some of it back into my 401k. Like, all right, I'm good. And I'm still good. And I'm going to continue to be good because I was able to meet a need. I was I was offering supply before demand was there. And now that demand is there, things are going great. Again, it, I reached a point, and I've seen a lot of this in the last few years, people reaching the point where like, you know what? No, I'm not going to be inauthentic anymore. And that looks different for a lot of different people. I've seen engineers become carpenters. I've seen um, doctors become guitarists. You know, people like I'm going to do what I love because life really is too short for me to be sad every day. I learned a long time ago, you can't pay me enough money to make me crazy. And I found myself submitting to the craziness too often. And I had to stop. That makes sense. What you started with just hit me in my soul as far as not wanting to shrink yourself so that you'd be equivalent and more palatable. And you mm-hmm. had it was really colorful, even though I'm not repeating it back quite as colorful um, as you said it. But, you know, I, I love to hear your story of how you transitioned. And I, I think a lot of us, it's it's out of the frustration of how we were working before. It just didn't seem to fit that something about it, either the process of it, what you got or how you did it wasn't quite fully aligned with, with where we were with our, um, with our values or with our purpose. So I think it's really, it's really good to hit on that. And I I think something else that's really important to bring out briefly, since we are in women's history month is the impact of Spelman college on us making these journeys and and these decisions. Cause I know for me, my experience at Spelman, even though there have been times I may not have had the most confidence is that somewhere subconsciously, I always knew that me being a woman wasn't a barrier to ultimately being able to do what I wanted to do. It may mean it's a harder road being a black woman, because sometimes I feel like being black, being a black woman is it wrong if I say sometimes it feels like for me, if I had to pick being black, sometimes it's like, is being black harder, being a woman harder? You know, it depends on who I'm with. And it's, it's all that intersectionality. Mm-hmm. But even though I can acknowledge and I was taught very well by my parents that there are going to be struggles and challenges you have that are specifically due to be you being a woman, you being black or you being a black woman, that something about Spellman instilled that. Even though those challenges may be there, it didn't mean that it's impossible. I was special enough and we were all special enough to overcome those challenges mm-hmm. to live our dreams and leave a legacy on the world. How do you feel like Spellman impacted you in your career? I wouldn't be who I am. Not even a little bit. And this is not to denigrate because I had other options. You know, I'm from Texas. Prairie View A&M is right there. Texas Southern University is right right around the corner from where I grew up. Both my parents are graduates from Texas Southern University. So it wasn't just the HBCU. It was specifically Spelman College and what it does for Black women. The difference for me is nobody ever nobody ever thought I couldn't. You know what I mean? There was never this, well, if you try real hard, maybe it's when you're going to do it. Because you can. And then to have all these other Black women as instructors, as teachers, being excellent, being being so smart that I'm like, how, how is Dr. Gilliard doing this? I don't understand anything she did. Girl. Girl. For for all you out there, Dr. Gilliard was our organic chemistry instructor. (laughs) Dr. Gilliard was an organic chemistry master. And when I tell you, she probably forgot more by 8 a.m. than I will ever know about organic chemistry. That woman was a national treasure. And to be able to learn from her, was amazing. And then to see all these women at the pinnacle of their academic endeavors as professors, doctors, instructors, etc. You can go look, look up Dr. Gilliard. You can look up any name of any professor at Spelman and they are so much more than just a teacher, you know, and then having them look at you like you're next. What are you going to do? 
not, well, maybe, well, if, well, I don't know, well, it's never been done, just, okay, when are you going to do it? And that baseline of unconscious support, if I can put it that way, like it was always assumed that I would. And so it never occurred to me that I didn't or I couldn't or I could not, you know, so yeah, that is more than family. What I hear between the two of us is one of the biggest things is representation matters. Mm -hmm. So there was something extremely strong about seeing black people and black women that were intelligent, that were leaders, that were strong, that also were a collective family. So the other, Mm -hmm. the other thing about it was you didn't just see intelligent, strong black women, but you saw supportive black women that were cheering for each other and lifting each other up, which Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's something very beautiful that a part of me is a little sad that everyone doesn't get to experience it at the level you experience it, Spellman, because you can experience it other ways, but it's just so many of us <laughs> at Spellman. So it's more than even, you know, if you're in a sorority or mm-hmm. if you have your, you know, your crew of your girls, it, it's just a little bit different when it's a thousand women all, all kind of in there together. You know, um, I was part of the dual degree program which was a three, two program, three years of Spelman, two years of Georgia tech. You get two degrees at the end of five years. That's how it went. And when I got to tech, there was already that, you know, well, tech is hard. Says who? Well, you know, you have to worry, you have to struggle. We won't be, don't be disappointed if you don't excel. Um, Can I get my Dean's list please though? Because that's what I did. You know, again, the, the confidence, the, What's the word I'm looking for? It was a supposition of excellence. You know, you're supposed to be this good. I don't know why you thought you weren't. And so when I got to tech, they're telling me, well, don't be afraid of, afraid of what? I'm supposed to be this good. I don't know why you thought I wasn't. And I'm graduating at a, at a higher level with, with, you know, better grades, more times on the dean's list, et cetera, than the kids that started there who didn't get that foundational support from something like Spelman College. The dual degree kids would come blazing through there. Uh, Spelman and Morehouse and Clark, because we had that family right up the street that was like, you better go on out there and show them what you are. You know, like Black Panther, tell them who you are. Did you enjoy that clip? I surely did. I get fired up every time I hear Joy speak. It's amazing how the Better 7 area of support just keeps coming up. The support of a community can be invaluable with self-esteem and believing that you can do anything. I wish that everyone would have the chance to have people believe in them the way people believed in us at Spelman. Spelman is the gift that literally keeps on giving. We continue to be so tight as a community, even if we just met each other, that they call us the Spell Mafia. I challenge you to continue to take steps toward your own freedom to be authentic and to also be that support and belief for someone else also. Wait a minute. Did we make it to the end of the episode? Oh, oh no, we did. Thanks so much for listening. I can't believe that we've come to the end of this episode. I hope this gave you further inspiration to be better, do better, and live better. There's one last bonus episode left before season two starts on September 28th. You can still get more better with Dr. Erica. This is a great time to go back and listen to season one episodes. This can also get you warmed up for the new season. Talking about better, one of the things that will help the podcast get even better and bring more quality content is sharing it. So please share the podcast with your family, friends, co-workers, Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, people you randomly run into at the restaurants, on the patio, because we're trying to be COVID, COVID friendly. Um, or actually, we want to avoid the COVID, so I don't know if that's actually being friendly or not. Um, but share it. We don't want to be the best kept secret. All of our lives get better when the lives around us also improve. So can you also do me a solid? Can you rate and review the podcast? And if you can give me five stars, please. Pretty please. Don't worry if you don't see rate and review option. It's not on all platforms, but it's definitely there on Audible and Apple Podcasts. So after you do that rating, if you could give me a review. Thanks again. 
I know you had a bunch of podcast options, but you chose mine. <laughs> I feel so special. Did I mention I'm the warm and fuzzies? Thanks for trusting me with your time and choosing to give me the honor of being in your ear. Don't forget the season two starts on September 28th with new episodes dropping on Tuesday mornings. Keep an eye out because I have one more bonus episode for you before the new season starts. Until next time, have a better day. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation.